Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when the so-called experts in the nuclear world get it wrong. Sailors on the USS Ronald Reagan. Acted as first responders after the March 11, 2011 earthquake and tsunami, and they got hit with health-destroying amounts of radiation because TEPCO lied to the U.S. government and withheld information that would have allowed these sailors to stay safe. Now there's a lawsuit against TEPCO on behalf of those sailors, and today's interview is with Charles Bonner, one of the team of attorneys handling the case. That interview. Plus our other regular features: Numbnuts of the Week, Radcast Radiation Weather Report with Mimi Gurman, the NRC Duck and Cover Report, and much more will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, December ten, twenty thirteen, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. On Friday, December six, twenty thirteen, the day before. The seventy-second anniversary of the day that will live in infamy. Japan approved a state secrets law that stiffens penalties for leaks by government officials and for journalists who seek such information. The ruling coalition forced a vote on a bill in the upper house committee on Thursday, December fifth. Despite stalling tactics by opposition parties, the full upper house approved the bill on Friday by 130 to 82. The more powerful lower house of the Japanese Diet had approved the bill last week. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, baby, the Nimrod who ramrodded the law through, says the law is needed to protect national security and assuage U.S. concerns over the risks of sharing strategically sensitive information with Tokyo. The bill allows heads of ministries and agencies to classify 23 vaguely worded types of information related to defense, diplomacy, counterintelligence, and counterterrorism, almost indefinitely. Most objections to the legislation were over human rights implications and over the lack of a guarantee of independent or parliamentary oversight over secrecy decisions. According to Japan Communist Party lawmaker Sohei Nihi, people will be living in a society where they could be punished for not knowing what's secret and what's not. Arrests, court judgments, all could be secret. This would violate the constitution. This coming from a communist. Lawrence Repita, a law professor at Meiji University in Tokyo, said, "If you are in contact with the government." You are at risk of crossing a line, even if you don't know there's a line there. The secrets bill has made the prime minister the top of the chain of command, giving him more power. Okay, Akiya baby, 
We know you're anti-nuke. Would you please give your husband a piece of your mind? Nothing else, just your mind. There is rapidly escalating objection to this law, and it is rolling throughout Japan and the rest of the world. In response, the government has appealed to the public for understanding. They understand, all right, and that's why they are objecting. Even though the law has been passed, it is being strongly opposed by groups that are now taking their protests to the streets. Citizens held a rally in front of the Diet Building in Tokyo, shouting in unison, we will not condone this kind of law. Leaders of different religious groups say the new law is an affront to democracy as it seeks to shut the eyes, ears, and mouths of the common people. Takao Takeda, a 61-year-old monk, says the mental freedom of the people will be suppressed, while 49-year-old priest Atsushu Kono said that they will not stand down just because the law has already been passed. A recent survey by Japan's Kyoto News shows that 82% of the respondents are calling for the revision or abolition of the secrecy law. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, baby, who pushed hard for the law to be passed, suffered a drop of 10.3% in his approval rating, down to 47.6, which is the first time that it has fallen below 50% since he came back into power in December of last year. Other prominent groups have issued statements of protest. The Japanese Pen Club, a branch of Pen International, a worldwide association of writers, has issued a statement expressing fear that policymakers can cover up information and abuse their power under the pretext of this law. The Japanese medical and dental practitioners for the improvement of medical care are afraid that their members may be called on to give up their patients' medical records and other personal information. 31 Japanese scholars, including several Nobel laureates, also released a statement saying the law, quote, threatens the fundamental human rights and pacifist principles established in the Constitution, end quote. They believe that this may be the greatest threat to democracy in post-war Japan. Members of the Japanese movie industry have formed a group that will oppose the government's state secrets protection bill. A statement from the group says that their predecessors in the industry were forced to support the government in World War II. And based on their reflections, the Japanese movie industry started to walk on the post-war path back to normalcy. They adamantly oppose the passage of the bill as it will set Japan back on a dangerous path similar to the war days. Among those who spearheaded the movie group are director Hayao Miyazaki, who won the Academy Award for Spirited Away. In Geneva, Switzerland, UN Human Rights Chief Navi Pillay said they should not rush through the law without first putting in proper safeguards for access of information and freedom of expression as guaranteed in Japan's constitution and international human rights law. Pillay characterized the bill as classifying information that is inconvenient to the government as state secrets. It imposes sentences of up to 10 years in prison for leaking information designated as a state secret. So what kind of secrets would be prevented from being disseminated? How about everything that follows in the rest of my Japan report? 
This piece from Iori Mochizuki and Fukushima Diary reports that the highest reading of all radionuclides has been detected in the seaside of reactor number two. The reading on November 28th was 1.1 billion becquerels per cubic meter. But just four days later at the same site, the reading was 1.3 billion becquerels per cubic meter. TEPCO said, oh, no, 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 it's from past leakage of contaminated water. There's no additional leakage going on underground. How gullible do they think we are? More importantly, how gullible are we? A magnitude 5.1 earthquake was registered near the damaged Fukushima nuclear facility. It happened on December 9, 63 miles east-northeast of the devastated nuclear power station. A Japanese government trip was taken to research how the response to the Chernobyl disaster was conducted, but the report was never made public. That's because Japanese governmental officials looked at what was done after Chernobyl and declared it to be too expensive and complicated for the Japanese government. So they suggested it be ignored. And it was. This report was the basis for pushing for far more lax nuclear safety standards in Japan. For example, Chernobyl's evacuation levels were 5 millisieverts per year for mandatory evacuation and 1 millisievert a year for voluntary evacuations. But Japan's current standard is 20 millisieverts per year, which has been widely criticized as being unsafe. Manichi cited this report as an example of things that would become state secret under the new law. The UN Human Rights Council has denounced Japan's response to the disaster, even as the World Health Organization continues to downplay the radiation risks, as is their mandate by their masters, the pro-nuclear International Atomic Energy Agency. Speaking of the IAEA, it has been promoting the idea of allowing TEPCO to dump more contaminated water into the Pacific. The head of the IAEA tried to make it sound better by declaring it to be, quote, just tritium, as if that made any difference. Earlier reports show that post-treatment water doesn't just have tritium in it, but also iodine-129 and cobalt-60. Iodine-129 has a 15.7 million-year half-life. It can cause thyroid damage and cancer and is harder to detect in the body than other isotopes like iodine-131. What is not known is how much of these two additional isotopes remain in the contaminated water after treatment. The IAEA made two rather telling admissions. They admitted that all nuclear power plants release contamination into the environment and that they plan to, quote, dilute, end quote, the water to dump it. Not that you can dilute radiation. It remains in suspension. It doesn't go away. Sometimes for 15.7 million years. But the IAEA said, controlled discharge is a regular practice in all the nuclear facilities in the world. Like that's supposed to make us feel any better? This is a very public admission by a major nuclear player that nuclear power is not clean energy and it is polluting the waterways. In other words, 
what's happening in Japan right now is the imposition of nuclear insanity for short-term corporate profit. Boy, is that ever a deal with the devil. And now... Nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. The government that brought you the Japan State Secrets Act wanted to demonstrate the safety of rice grown in areas that have been evacuated around the Fukushima nuclear power plant. So they decided to serve 540 kilograms of the rice to workers and executives in a government office complex in Tokyo for nine days, starting Monday, December 9. Senior Vice Environment Minister Shinji Inoue said the rice tasted good, especially when he thought about the great effort that went into cultivating the crop. Now dig it. A farmer from Kawamata Town said he will continue to cultivate the rice now that he knows that it's possible to grow tasty product if the paddy fields are properly decontaminated. Then he said he traveled from his temporary home to the paddy to tend the rice as it grew. In other words, it's not safe for him to live there, but it is safe for him to grow rice there that gets eaten by others. Well, at least they're starting with Japanese ministry officials. The clock is ticking. Let's track the health of all of these people, see what's going on with their thyroids in about two years, see what's happening with their leukemia levels in five. Any hard tumors in 12 to 15? Boy, they've got a lot to look forward to. And that's this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. Over to the United States. This from Arne Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education. He said in an interview on Common Dreams on December 6, the faucet is still on. The Pacific is still becoming more contaminated. This is not a one-time wave that washes the shore and goes away. Fukushima is continuing to pollute the ocean. So it's not a, well, it's going to occur for a week and so we can all go home and not eat fish for a week. A study published earlier this year estimated that the radioactive plume would linger off California's coast for 10 years. Yet the researcher's model is based upon releases from Fukushima ending just a month after the disaster began in March of 2011, meaning it does not account for the 400 tons of radioactive water flowing into the Pacific from the plant each day for 33 months. To which Nuclear Hot Seat adds, if we had a house in Malibu right now, we'd be putting it on the market. Now it's time for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission DUCK! <laughs> and cover report. Two NRC usual unusual events this week. The first at Arkansas Nuclear One, operated by Entergy. Where there was a loud ground shaking explosion and smoke just before eight o'clock on Monday morning, December nine. Fire started in the electrical switchyard after a transformer exploded and ignited. The fire raged for an hour and a half before being put out. There is an investigation into the cause of the fire and the extent of the damage. And at the Clinton nuclear generating station in central Illinois on Sunday, December eighth, There was a manual scram, scram, get out of here, because of a transformer fault. 
And that's this week's NRC Duck and Cover Report. Time for some better news. Unistar Nuclear Energy is completely withdrawing its application to build a third nuclear power plant at Nine Mile Point in Lake Ontario. The company submitted an operating license application in September 2008 to build what would have been Nine Mile 3. But just over a year later, Unistar submitted a letter requesting the Nuclear Regulatory Commission temporarily suspend the application review. The reason? The company told the NRC it was because Nine Mile Point 3 was not selected for federal loan guarantees. More calls for testing. Berkeley, California Council Member Chris Worthington asked for a resolution instructing the city's health department to research and inform the public regarding elevated risk from seafood and other Pacific Basin products and to educate the population of Berkeley regarding specific treatments for radiation exposure and have in place emergency procedures to administer treatment, if necessary, to mitigate radiation exposure. And the San Diego-based Scripps Institution of Oceanography began seawater sampling for cesium on December 3, 2013, and the data will be made publicly available. Here's an 800-pound gorilla, and it's on our side. AARP has pledged that one of its 2014 legislative goals is the repeal of the state law in Florida that allows utilities to charge customers in advance for new nuclear projects. AARP said it is backing a small but growing coalition of lawmakers who believe the law is an unfair tax on consumers who may get nothing from the charges. The Nuclear Cost Recovery Clause, or so-called Advance Fee, has been a growing point of contention ever since Duke Energy and Florida Power and Light began using the statute for proposed nuclear plants that may never get built. In August, Duke canceled its proposed project in Levy County after running up $1.5 billion in costs that customers still must pay. In addition, the utility spent hundreds of millions as part of the failed upgrade of the Crystal River nuclear plant that permanently closed in February. AARP, go sick'em! There's a new report commissioned by the Washington and Oregon chapters of Physicians for Social Responsibility that shows how closing the Columbia Generating Station nuclear power plant located on the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State could save ratepayers at least $1.7 billion over the next 17 years. Dr. Katherine Thomason, National Executive Director for Physicians for Social Responsibility, said, We believe this report demonstrates clearly that aging nuclear reactors, in addition to having safety problems, are having trouble competing in the electric power market. The Columbia Generating Station contains a General Electric boiling water reactor similar to those destroyed during the Fukushima nuclear disaster. And the American Chemical Association has announced the design of a highly sensitive nanosensor that could detect even the smallest radiation leaks in nuclear wastewater. Professor Vladimir Kuznetsov, an advisory board member of Russia's state-owned nuclear monopoly, said in 2011, the seeping of plutonium into soil and water is the most dangerous thing that can happen. 
Ocean currents may carry it around the world, and nobody knows whether it ends up inside fish or on the beach. So let's get those nanosensors built and into production and in the hands of citizens near every reactor in the world. A study by several researchers, including Health Canada, the Department of the Government of Canada with responsibility for national public health, revealed a sharp spike in radiation over southwest British Columbia on March 20th of 2011. A Health Canada monitoring station in Sydney, British Columbia, had detected radioactive iodine-131 levels up to 300 times normal background levels. But in 2011, Health Canada was declaring on its website that the quantities of radiation reaching Canada did not pose any health risk to Canadians. Health Canada said... The very slight increases in radiation across the country have been smaller than the normal day-to-day fluctuations from background radiation. It's taken 33 months for the truth to come out, and now it's too late for the affected Canadians to do anything about it. Good thing they've got socialized medicine. Two major problems at uranium mines. In Australia, the future of that country's oldest uranium mine is under renewed scrutiny after a tank holding more than a million liters of radioactive slurry burst over the weekend, sparking a federal investigation. And in Namibia, in southwestern Africa, all milling operations at the Rusing uranium mine ground to an immediate halt after a catastrophic structural failure, their term, at one of 12 leach tanks in the processing plant. This happened on Tuesday, December 3rd. Sources at the mine told the Namib Times on Tuesday that they heard some kind of explosion. The incident was described as serious, but neither the radiological risk nor the extent of the leak have been revealed. Ben DeVry, general manager of operations, however, said that there was no environmental impact and that the spilled slime is to be recycled in the processing plant. And finally, this week's runner-up for Numbnuts of the Week comes from Where else? Mexico, where the six thieves made off with a truck that contained highly radioactive cobalt-60. The six were arrested and taken immediately to the hospital, where Hidalgo State Health Minister Pedro Luis Nobel said on Friday that the six suffered from skin irritations, dizziness, and one was vomiting. But, he said, based on the tests, quote, none are showing immediate signs of radiation poisoning. Excuse me, what do you think skin irritations, dizziness, and vomiting are a sign of? I doubt that these men are menstruating. And besides, immediate signs of radiation poisoning? It can take years for the worst of it to show up. Though based on the exposure these guys had, it probably won't take anywhere near that long. The truck was found abandoned on Wednesday, and the container for the radioactive material was found opened. The Cobalt-60 pellets were left about half a mile from the truck in an empty rural field. The thieves seem to have targeted the cargo truck with movable platform and crane for itself and likely didn't know what the cargo was. Oops! Enough of this frivolity. Let's get to the interview. Charles Bonner is a civil rights employment attorney and civil litigation expert based in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's one of a team of attorneys suing TEPCO on behalf of the sailors of the USS Ronald Reagan who were sent 
on an humanitarian mission to provide aid to Japan immediately after the March 11, 2011 tsunami and earthquake. These sailors were never warned about the risks from the Fukushima Daiichi triple meltdowns because TEPCO lied about the dangers. As a result, they were exposed to catastrophic levels of radiation, and now many are experiencing disastrous changes to their health. The first hearing on this case took place in San Diego Federal Court in November, and Charles Bonner graciously offered to fill Nuclear Hot Seat listeners in on the current situation with the lawsuit. Thank you, Ms. Halibi. It's good to be with you. First, give us a sense of what the lawsuit is. This is a lawsuit for, right now, 51 U.S. servicemen and women who responded out of a humanitarian gesture to assist Japan during its Fukushima Naicha power plant meltdown, nuclear power plant meltdown back in March 11, 2011. The President of the United States uh, dispatched member, uh, various ships from the Southern Fleet, specifically the U.S. Ronald Reagan and other ships, to uh, assist in what was called Operation Tamadachi, which literally translates from Japanese to help our friends. The problem that has led to this lawsuit is that the Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, who runs the nuclear power plant, lied to the United States Navy as to the uh, risk that the ships would encounter the risk of radiation exposure. For example, they did not allow tell the United States government that this power plant was in an active meltdown mode at the time. They did not share with the United States government that the employees of TEPCO were not equipped to deal with this kind of meltdown. For example, employees of TEPCO did not have the kind of equipment to pump water to cool these reactors. They needed 12-volt batteries to do this. Uh, they had, in fact, ordered 12-volt batteries, but those batteries were away from the power plant itself. And after sitting around for hours trying to scramble to deal with a, a meltdown of four reactors, they finally decided that they needed to have the employees go to their cars and take the 12-volt batteries out of their cars. Meanwhile, Radiation plumes have been released unnecessarily. Contaminated radiation, radiated water have been uh, released and pumped into the Pacific Ocean. Meanwhile, you have these sailors coming. They are not only going to the rescue by jumping into the water and rescuing people out of the water, but they were drinking desalinated seawater and bathing in it until finally the Captain of the USS Ronald Reagan alarmed people that they were encountering high levels of radiation. Now, as a result of this exposure, the 51 sailors that we represent right now have come down with a host of medical problems, including uh, cancers and leukemias, all kinds of gynecological problems for the female servicemen and women. Uh, there are people with thyroid cancers, that people who are going blind, pilots who have perfect eyesight, but now who have tumors on the brain. And these servicemen and women are young people, 21, 22, 
queen three years old, and no one in their family had ever suffered any of these kinds of illnesses before. So the only causal link to these kinds of illnesses is this exposure to radiation, high levels of radiation, when they responded to this Operation Tomodachi. Is there any accounting of how much radiation they were exposed to and what kind of protective steps they took, if any, while they were on the ship? Once the radiation was detected, once the helicopters came back, the Navy had sent helicopters over with water and food and blankets to assist in the rescue. And when those helicopters started to return to the Ronald Reagan, they were noted to have high levels of radiation. These devices that they used, like a Gaga counter, to determine the radiation levels were literally going crazy. And it's at that point when the alarm went off that everyone needed to engage in protective gear, USS Ronald Reagan, which initially had been on, on its way to Korea, when it received the, the call, the order to turn around and head to Japan to assist with this rescue, once the ship determined, the captain of the ship determined that there were high levels of radiation, they moved the ship and went to another location. Again, in communication with TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, Tokyo Electric Power Company is still hiding, feeling the true facts of the radiation levels. They're still hiding that they're in active meltdown. In fact, they've had, they hid that fact until here just recently in 2013. They finally admitted that they were in an active uh, meltdown at this power plant during that rescue operation. So the ship continued to maneuver to try to find safe levels. Of course, this is a very well-equipped ship. It's the most highly sophisticated ship in the, in the world, and it's well-equipped to deal with nuclear exposure. The problem is the ship went in to deliver food and water and blankets. They didn't go in to fight radiation. That was the tiger in the room that no one informed them of. You know, was, They didn't go prepared to deal with the radiation battle. And that is why this case is, is now being brought, because these soldiers were exposed to very high levels of radiation the exact dosage of which, as you ask how, what quantity of radiation, no one knows because, again, all of that information is a part of TEPCO's secret, and now the Japan government has passed a secret law that prevents any of the employees from revealing any information about what took place at Fukushima. Uh, and, of course, this law now is being imposed by a 10-year penalty if anyone should reveal any of these so-called state secrets. So the amount of the radiation is still unknown. What we do know is that these young sailors had none of these kinds of medical problems. Now they have back pains, memory loss, severe anxiety. They have testicular cancer. They have thyroid cancers. They have leukemias. They have a host of problems, uh, rectal and gynecological bleeding also problems that they did not have before they went in Operation Tomodachi. And it's only three years since they went in. But this is consistent with what we're seeing in the Japanese population, that thyroid cancer is now up 200% in 
in Japan since this Fukushima nuclear meltdown. So it's only fair that these young men and women be taken care of. It was not the fault of the United States government. This was clearly the fault of the Tokyo Electric Power Company. And so we have brought a lawsuit against that power company on behalf of these sailors. Right now we have signed up 51 sailors. Another 20 sailors have contacted us just literally within the last week. We were contacted by the mother of two young sailors, twins. One went off to the Air Force. One went to the Navy. The young 19-year-old went to the Navy, responded to Operation Tomodachi. Now he has thyroid cancer. These are the kinds of cases we're seeing every day. Another 20 sailors have contacted us. So when we file the amended lawsuit here before January 6th, we'll be adding an additional approximately 20 sailors, breaking the total number in the lawsuit to somewhere around 70 to 75. How did the lawsuit itself come about with your involvement in it? And what happened in the first hearing that took place in San Diego last November? The lawsuit came about because one of the sailors, a female sailor, Lindsay Cooper, who was the lead plaintiff, returned to San Diego and she began to experience all kinds of problems. And she consulted my partner, Paul Garner, who is a lawyer with a tremendous amount of experience in environmental cases. And Mr. Garner contacted me and we began to speak with these sailors about what had occurred and we began to research what caused these kinds of injuries and whether it was the United States government versus TEPCO and all of our research and all of our investigation led us to conclude that this was the fault of the Tokyo Electric Power Company and in large part also the Japanese government, which is in a major conspiracy with the Tokyo Electric Power Company to hide and conceal the true facts as to what led to these servicemen and women being exposed to high levels of radiation. What happened in the lawsuit last week, TEPCO has hired a major law firm in Los Angeles to defend this particular lawsuit. And this particular law firm, on behalf of Tokyo Electric Power Company, wants to remove the case to Japan. First, their position is that the courts here do not have power to hear this case because it is not a matter for the courts to decide. It is strictly a matter of an executive decision by the President of the United States to dispatch the present fleet to this rescue, and those are matters that are not for judicial review. We convinced the court that uh, the case is properly brought in this country. It should not be sent back to Japan and that we will amend the lawsuit to show that this case has nothing to do with any kind of invasion of the executive branch of the United States government. We're not concerned with any state secrets or military secrets. This is strictly about the miscommunication, the misrepresentation, the fraud, if you will, that Tokyo Electric Power Company perpetrated upon the United States Navy and upon these young servicemen and women who were good Samaritans, people who were trying to help them. So we have, uh, the court agreed and has granted us an opportunity to amend the lawsuit. Uh, this is basically a strict liability case. It's a negligence case. It is a case where 
Kentucky Electric Power Company was negligent. They created a risk of injury. When you create a risk of injury, it's foreseeable that someone is going to go to your rescue. And if you hide true facts from the, the Good Samaritan who's coming in to help you, and then that Good Samaritan, that rescue is injured, and then part of has created this risk of injury, this danger, in this case, TEPCO, is liable under United States law. TEPCO has a headquarters in Washington, D.C. They also have a corporation in California. Uh, the status of that corporation right now is not known, whether it's still active or inactive, but they have a corporation in California. So the point is that we have jurisdiction in the United States to have this case heard in the federal court. We're in San Diego because the USS Ronald Reagan which housed 5,000 servicemen and women who responded to this disaster, uh, was based in San Diego. It stopped in San Diego. So we have what is called subject matter jurisdiction based on diversity of citizenship in that we have a company that's in Japan that's headquartered in Washington, D.C. We have sailors in San Diego, and therefore we have jurisdiction to sue in the federal court in San Diego. So we will be uh, filing an amended lawsuit to remain additional injured servicemen and women, as well as to bring additional new claims against TEPCO. Can you tell us what some of those new claims are and what the difference will be in this new amended filing? One of the major new claims will be a claim for what is called loss of consortium for the spouses of these men and women because these men and women now are not able to provide to their their wives or their husbands in the same capacity they had before these injuries. So the spouses have incurred a great loss, a loss of companionship, loss of society, loss of parental relations and sexual relations. So the spouses have a major loss, and therefore we would be bringing claims on behalf of the spouses as well as additional injured servicemen and women. Other legal claims are already in the lawsuit, such as negligence and uh, strict liability based on engaging in ultra-hazardous activity, and also products liability. We believe that this Tokyo Electric Power Company was constructed in a negligent way. For example, they cut down a major 3,000-feet mound, a big little hill, little mountain and uh, built this power plant right down on the bedrock at sea level, right in the path of a tsunami. And on top of that, they built it on an earthquake fault. So it was crazy and totally negligent to create a product with such grave risk to the whole world, uh, right on an earthquake fault, and then to lower it down to put it directly in the path of any kind of wave created by a tsunami. Since the construction of the plant back in the 60s, up until now, it has been negligently maintained, operated, and all of the rescue efforts have been negligently prepared. Consequently, as I mentioned, they were not prepared to deal with this kind of disaster, which they should have been prepared because they knew that they built it on an earthquake fault, and they guaranteed the Japanese people that they would had constructed this power plant in a safe way. 
and that there was no danger from the earthquake and they were fully prepared to deal with an earthquake of a major magnitude uh, in the event such an earthquake occurred at no risk to the Japanese people. That was a lie. They knew it was a lie at the time. And the true facts uh, were that they were cutting corners, they were engaging in all kinds of shoddy construction, quick construction, to just keep the shareholders and keep the nuclear industry moving without any major threat to it. And concealing from the world that this energy system is a very dangerous system and is not worth the risk that we've seen clearly uh, will occur from this particular meltdown in March of 2011. That is the risk that we, for all of us citizens in the world now, we are facing that kind of risk from every power plant that is in operation. So one of the goals of this lawsuit, in addition to getting compensation for these United States service men and women, is also to elevate the awareness of the dangers of nuclear power in the world and hopefully stimulate a movement among the people to shut these power plants down every place on the planet. To take a page from Chancellor Merkel in Germany, she has stopped the power plants in Germany because they understand the dangers that they pose to the world. This is what we must do in the United States and must do it all over the world. And Fukushima is the, the, the poster child for the need to end nuclear power. Einstein said, nuclear power is a hell of a way to boil water. And it clearly is a stupid way to boil water to create energy. You get no arguments from this quarter. Going back to the hearing that took place in November, I understand that there were several Japanese people from the Fukushima area who flew in on their own dime, their own expense, in order to participate, to perhaps be able to speak at the hearing. On Nuclear Hot Seat number 127 two weeks ago, I did have a chance to interview Setsuko Kita, who was one of those people. Why were the individuals from Japan not allowed to testify? Well, mainly it was not a evidence-gathering hearing. It was strictly a what's called law-in-motion matter. There are occasions when the court will hear testimony in an appropriate hearing. This was not an appropriate hearing. However, those people will get the opportunity. We will submit declarations on their behalf, and their voices will be heard in this lawsuit. And uh, we welcomed them. They were there. They were quite supportive. And they're very concerned. They want people in America to know that in Japan, they're threatening to put people in concentration camps who speak out about the secrets of the risk of harm from nuclear power, that they do not want people to speak out about what happened in Japan when this nuclear meltdown happened. These people came in in moon suits within hours after the earthquake and evacuated. They came in with 200 big Greyhound buses within 30 kilometers, about 20 miles from the power plant, and woke people up in the middle of the night and uh, told them, get on the bus, don't grab anything. They were all dressed in big white moon suits, and no one explained why. The true facts were that they were in an active meltdown. They could not control the meltdown of these reactors. They had no clue as to how to deal with it, and they had to evacuate the community. They did not inform the United States Navy 
that they were making this evacuation because the radiation levels were out of control and dangerously level and dangerously high. So the people in Japan have a vested interest in seeing this lawsuit succeed because they want to stop the proliferation of nuclear energy and nuclear power plants in Japan. And they want the injured people in Japan to also be compensated. Right now, the government is doling out about $500 per person, and these people now having major, again, thyroid cancer problems, same kind of problems that these American families are having that I just mentioned, leukemias, bleedings, rashes, memory loss, all of the host of problems, these people in Japan are experiencing those same problems without any recourse. They don't have a judicial system like we have in America, where the sailors have a right to a jury trial, have a right to have the people in the community determine what is fair and reasonable and just compensation, and whether or not Tokyo Electric Power Company should be punished, should have to pay punitive damages for knowingly exposing people to this level of risk. And it's not just a risk in the instant for the people who were exposed initially, but it's for all of their offspring because their children will be affected. Their DNA will become malignant, and they will develop cancers, and they will pass on these malignant genes to their offspring. So this meltdown in March 11, 2011, is going to have ramifications for years to come. I'm talking about 50 to 100 years to come. That's the level, that's the magnitude of the harm and the risk that was created by this nuclear disaster in March of 2011. What has been the media response and the media coverage to the lawsuit? Well, the media has been quite responsive. Again, it's been only from our side. The Tokyo Electric Power Company has been characteristically quiet and secretive and not wanting to allow any of the true facts to come out. So um, the media has been on top of the story. Yeah, there have been several articles, and I'm very happy that you are bringing this information to your listeners and your uh, the people who follow your program. It's very important that we educate people to the dangers of nuclear power. We have been covering this story on Nuclear Hot Seat in previous editions where I've had an interview with Jamie Plim and also covered the audio from Dr. Caldecott's symposium last March. And there will be links up on the website to these two previous episodes of Nuclear Hot Seat. What I want to ask you now in closing is, what would be the biggest help that listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat could bring to you and to the sailors? Is there anything we can do to support you? Yes. One, you can write your congresspeople, your senators, your lawmakers, and bring it to their attention that United States servicemen and women, the first responders, are sick. They're hurting. They're hurting because of the conduct by Tokyo Electric Power Company and demand that the United States government provide all of the assistance they can to these sailors by assisting in whatever way is, is permissible with, the, with this lawsuit that is providing information, providing resources. These men and women have no means to finance this lawsuit, for example, because they have 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds 
who are just beginning to start their lives, start their families. Many have little children, and now they're sick. They are going constantly to the doctors. Their children are sick. We even have some small children as a member of our plaintiffs because they, too, have developed problems. The most important thing to do is to contact the military, contact lawmakers, and demand that these lawmakers bring all of the resources they have at their disposal to assist in the success of this particular lawsuit for these men and women. These are the first responders. We go all over the world. Whenever there are disasters, we're the first ones to go in to help. But we go in to help. We don't go in to fight unknown dangers. And that is the problem here. That is where the pain is in this case. These servicemen went in to fight despair and to fight hunger and to fight thirst. And they went in to take clothes and shelter. And and they were met with a tiger, nuclear radiation, high level of nuclear radiation. Had they known they were going into Titanic Tigers, they would have taken them the appropriate weapons to do that. They're totally capable of doing that. But they were lied to and deceived. And that deception now has resulted in injuries to them for the rest of their lives. We must make Tokyo Electric Power Company pay. And it's up to the American people to make them pay. Charles Bonner, I'm so appreciative of the work that you are doing on this lawsuit. On behalf of those sailors, it is quite a battle you have ahead of you, and it sounds like you're doing a great job. Whatever comes up in the future around this case, please, I hope one of your first thoughts will be to get the information to me so I can convey it to the listeners of Nuclear Hot State. I will do, and I really appreciate it, Ms. Olivia. Can you please stay in contact with us? Certainly will. That was Attorney Charles Bonner on the Operation Tomodachi lawsuit on behalf of the sailors of the USS Ronald Reagan. We'll have links up on the website to Nuclear Hot Seat Number 96, which includes my interview with U.S. Naval Quartermaster Jamie Plim, one of the sailors represented in the lawsuit. We'll have the Radcast Radiation Weather Report in just a moment. But first... I want you to think about the kind of information you get from Nuclear Hot Seat every week. Just imagine the times you get to be angry along with me, the times you laugh, the sense of community and our shared purpose, the picture you get of what's happening in the world regarding nuclear that ties us all together. Every week, this show tells the international story of what nuclear is, how it affects our lives, and what we can do to change the stranglehold it has upon our future. Now, imagine what it would be like without this show. Doesn't make me happy at all. So it's the holidays, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support to keep this podcast going. Nuclear Hot Seat needs your support to keep bringing you the week's nuclear news, radiation awareness tips, radcast, activist opportunities, numnuts of the week, the NRC and cover report, as well as my outbursts of uncontrollable rage and musical theater. Giving is easy. Go to the website, nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down on the homepage, and click on the big red donate button. Whatever you can do to help, know that it's deeply appreciated. Here's Radcast. 
This is Mimi Gurman for the Radcast Report, radically relevant and the first of its kind. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, 2013. Remember, the Radcast alert is set at 100 counts per minute. We're seeing volatility throughout the United States today. Starting in the southern states, Taylor's South Carolina is reading a higher than normal average of 66 CPM with maximum readings in the low to mid 80s. We haven't seen readings like this before in this area. Wondering if it has to do more with the vapor conus loop coming in from the western Pacific through the southern states carrying radiation or from the Oconee nuclear power plant or from the fire from the transformer from the nuclear plant in Arkansas. As reported in the Russia Times, there is a radioactive leak in the Oconee nuclear power plant in Reactor 1. Duke Energy is saying it is a minor leak, but they don't know how long it's been leaking and there is no such thing as a minor leak. Six gallons an hour is leaking. That's what they are saying to us. Oconee is now offline. Georgia is reading an average of 42 CPM with highs of 69. West Virginia had averages in the mid-40s with highs in the mid-60s. Let's go over to Colorado, where Colorado Springs is reading 63 CPM average with an 89 maximum. Let's go over to Colorado, where Colorado Springs is reading 63 CPM average with an 89 max. Colorado is 6,000 feet where we expect to see higher readings, as well as readings due to radon counts. When we look at South Carolina and see a very similar average at a lower elevation, we have to take note that something is going on. On the bright side, Philadelphia is reading in the low 40s, while Winthrop, Maine, is seeing elevated averages in the 30s. The Northwest is holding pretty steady with radiation readings in the low 30s. Vancouver, B.C. is running higher at 38 CPM and maxing at 59. But this is a new reader with a meter called the PRM 9000, which has a very sensitive monitor, which picks up more readings than the inspector. Our regular reader for the Vancouver, BC area has an inspector, also a very good meter, which reads usually in the low 20s to around 23 CPM. Taipei, Taiwan is reading in the low 40s, but with highs from 78 to 107 CPM in the last two days. Because Taiwan is relatively close to Japan, separated only by a small body of water, we are pretty certain that the high readings are a direct cause of Fukushima fallout. Remember that we are all dependent on the readings of citizens like our friend in Taiwan to know what is going on. If you do not have a meter, please get one and join in in this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Radcast Report on the Nuclear Hot Seat Program. This is Mimi Gurman for Radcast.org. John Stewart, you need a nuclear pundit? I'm that person. Thanksgiving call may be over, but Hanukkah Christa Kwanzaa Solstice is still coming up. So let's give each other the gift that keeps on giving, and that is my nuclear information on your show. Booby, it'll be wonderful. Info at NuclearHotSeat.com. I promise I'll get back to you within 24 hours. Here's today's final thought. It can be tough to focus on the nuclear issue day after day, week after week. Let's not even talk about months and years. The information is frightening. We're challenged to stretch our minds into areas usually reserved for religions, philosophers, and science fiction writers. 
Every day brings revelations that seem to belong in an episode of The Twilight Zone or in Superman's Bizarro Land or through Alice's Looking Glass. It's mental warp at warp speed. And what's at stake is the future of life itself. So as we head into the holiday season, it may seem like a cliche, but truly, find whatever and whoever you love and hold fast to it. Family, friends, nature, art, music, theater, or just a good mug of coffee and a journal. Whatever helps you keep healthy and whole and in touch with your soul, go for it. Do not stint. Do it today. Don't wait for tomorrow. We don't know where we're going to be and what we're going to be up against in the coming days and years. So as Ram Das would say, be here now. Be. Exist. Feel your breath. Know your life force. Here. This place. Nowhere else. You are where you are. This exact spot. Consciousness and awareness. Now. There is no other moment. As the saying goes, the past is gone to memory and the future is an illusion. There's only now, which is why it's called the present, because that's what it is, a present. Open it joyfully. Use it wisely. Live your life from love and don't forget to laugh. When you reinforce life and love and caring, you are living the opposite of all things nuclear. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 10, 2013. Material for this week's program has been researched and compiled from enenews.com, fukushimadiary.com with our friend Iori Mochizuki, arniegundersonandfairwinds.org, Associated Press, New York Times, Asahi Shimbuns, Japan Daily Press, News.com Australia, FukuLeaks.org and Simply Info, NHK, the NRC, Las Cruces Sun News, River Valley Leader, Wall Street Journal, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, CNYCentral.com, City of Berkeley, California, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, TampaBay.com, Washington State and Oregon Chapters of Physicians for Social Responsibility, American Chemical Society, Washington'sBlog.com, TheAge.com.Australia, Namibia Times, Huffington Post, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community, which you are, each one of you, invited to join. We're a whole bunch of fun. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilee Weber. Ongoing gratitude to Mimi Gurman and Radcast for the terrific weekly reports. It's a great addition to each week's nuclear story. Hey, heads up, the title of my book is now final. A very personal nuclear reaction, one mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and beyond. It will be launching as soon as it's formatted for EPUB, no later than January 1st. I'll be posting excerpts on Facebook and YouTube, the Nuclear Hot Seat video channel. So please keep watching for updates. Our archive is available on iTunes or at nuclearhotseat.com slash blog. Comment on our website while you're there or at Nuclear Hot Seat on Facebook. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed. You have my permission to reuse this material as long as you provide proper attribution, list the website, and include the email. 
This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that San Onofre is still shut down forever. We did it, so can you. And we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. <laughs>